Well, good morning, New Cove. It is so good to see you. Uh, one of my major professors uh, at New Orleans Baptist Seminary, Dr. Jack Glaze, uh, had, uh, did a home visit to see if I was that taught at seminary. Uh, talk about pressure. Uh, uh, Jack was an amazing man, and Dr. Glaze had something to say. He said, Tim, he said, it looks like it, when you set things up at, at your church, everything on the weekend points toward the very end. It's, it's a climatic end, and it is a everything, all the music, all the, uh, all the announcements, everything comes to this final focal end, and it's like no one can receive Jesus until the very end. He said, why wouldn't you give people numerous opportunities to give their life to Jesus? And I thought about that this morning as, as we were going through such amazing songs, as we think about the lyrics and saying, is this true of me and God? Is this, do I need to confess that it's not? And so maybe God has already spoken to you this morning. Because what we learned last week is when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. And so we are wanting us to make sure that we are open to, to God. So here's what I'd like for you to do. Palms up, hands open, in your lap, and then will you breathe this prayer, God, speak to me. God, speak to me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There may be a verse that we hit immediately or maybe later on, but the reason why God has you here is for that very purpose that this one thing he wanted you to have, and you may have already gotten it, but I want to make sure you had it. The first, book of, uh, first half of the book of Mark, we're all looking at who Jesus is. And so as, as during your week, you're reading through the first part of Mark, looking at all the passages of who Jesus is. And then on weekends, we're looking at uh, where the second half, basically, that talks about why Jesus came. So Mark 1, verse 1 basically sums up who Jesus is. And let me read it to you, and let me read it to you the way we ended it last week with looking at the Greek uh, description of it. If it were a literal translation, it would be this, Mark 1.1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the anointed royal figure, the one who would come and administer God's rule on earth and rescue Israel from all its oppressors and troubles, the Son of God, who is outright divine. Wow. Talk about who Jesus is. He's an anointed royal figure who would come and administer God's rule on earth. He would rescue Israel from all its oppressors and troubles. The Son of God, who is outright divine. So Philip Yancey used an illustration. He said scientists, have, as of late, have now believed that if you had unlimited vision, if you had unlimited vision... You could take a needle, a sewing needle, and you could hold out at arm's length at nighttime, hold it up, and what you would see would be 10,000 galaxies. Move a little, uh, one inch to your left, another 10,000 galaxies. Moves to your right an inch, another 10,000 galaxies. What they have found is that there are approximately a trillion galaxies out there. All of these galaxies, just one galaxy alone, it encompasses an average of 100 to 200 billion stars. Philip Yancey goes on to say, If Jesus is your Lord, 
if you've opened your life to Jesus, you are a child of God who made all of that. And then he finishes it with this. Now, what's your problem? As we read through the book of Mark, it is an amazing group of passages that talk about who Jesus is. And as you read through Mark over the next several weeks, constantly asking, what is Jesus saying about himself? And, And how does that apply to my life? The issue is that, that we would not put limitations on a limitless God. If, if we just look at just a, a snippet of who God is, just a snippet of who God is, He is not limited by any stretch at all. My faith isn't based on what I see. My faith is based on who God is. So whatever season you may find yourself in, it's not a do I have enough faith to make this move and make... In fact, he said you have the faith of a mustard seed. The mustard seed you can hardly see with the naked eye. But the, the issue is where your faith is, is placed. And so we won't choose to believe him over the facts because impossible is where God starts. Impossible is where God starts. With that being said, let's look at Mark chapter 10, an amazing passage that has application to everyone in this room, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus. Mark 10, verse 17, page 1013, if you're using the Bible in the seat pockets. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? So just a little bit of information, who was this man? Well, in Matthew 19, 20, he adds in that it's a young man who owned much property. So we have a young man who's wealthy, who owns much property. Luke 18 calls him a ruler. Same guy, a ruler, meaning he a, has a moral significant uh, religious, uh, would be a moral religious leader. So the, the term ruler implies that he was a leader in a local synagogue. So it's a young guy who's very wealthy, who has, who's up and coming, and is in leadership position as a leader in the local synagogue. And notice the next thing about him, which is amazing. It says, he ran and knelt, or ran and fell down on his knees before him. He's understanding this, which is amazing. It's unusual for a wealthy oriental man in, this, in that particular century to run anywhere. They would, it, was, it was not to be done. But he recognizes he has such an amazing need. He doesn't care what other people think. He's going to align himself, hopefully, to what Jesus has to say. Then he asks an interesting question. What shall I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? His understanding of spiritual matters is based on actions upon rabbinical performance. He was an ideal young man, and yet he has an unusual view about spiritual things. He thinks it's how much you do. It's rather a very shallow view of salvation because he thinks he can do something to gain favor with God. It's called transaction. It's defined this way, transactional religion is the idea that we negotiate, we navigate, and we bargain with God for His favor and blessings. I did that before every uh, end-of-year examination, final, final exams at Baylor. 
the week ahead of time, man, my time alone with God was awesome. And, and if I was just thinking, I'm going to uncover every rock. I want to make sure so that God would give me, a, give me a good grade. Yeah, well, that didn't work out so well. It was a common belief at that time that you, it's up to you. If it's to be, it's up to me. And most people think that and still do, that when we end up uh, standing before God, we stand before him, and he looks at our life, weighs all the good things we've done, weighs all the bad things we've done, and if the good outweighs the bad, come on in. That is such not the way the Bible speaks. And behind this good works approach to salvation, listen, listen, is a superficial view about sin. So Warren Wiersbe says this, Sin is rebellion against a holy God. Whenever we choose to make life work apart from God, whenever we say, I don't care what the right thing is, I'm going to do what the convenient thing is, what will move me this way, oh well, as long as no one knows, or it's just something small, it's not that big a deal, we call that respectable sins. It's just a respectable one. When we, when we do that, it is still rebellion against a holy God. It's an inward attitude that exalts self and defies God. Now, the rabbis were always pointing to what they were to do, to obey the statutes of God and avoid all sin. Basically, we just call that sin management. And so, this young ruler runs up and he says... Apparently, he feels like there is something lacking. Well, of course there's something lacking. He is missing something huge because anyone who counts on what they're doing to gain favor with God will find that in spite of everything they've accomplished, it just breeds insecurity. Imagine going to bed at night and thinking, have I done more good than bad? If I die tonight, have I done more good than bad? What a horrible way to live. That has to be exhausting to live with a, a, a mindset of I just must do, do good works. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. He's giving the second half of the, of the Ten Commandments. Don't defraud, honor your father and mother. Verse 20, teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy, since I was at, had a bar mitzvah at age 13. I have kept all the laws. Jesus doesn't catch him on that. I mean, because I'm just going, oh, really? You, you've, you've never, never broken a law, really? But Jesus doesn't do that. He's going to allow us to understand that our sinful hearts have a habit of appraising us better than we are. And others worse than they are. You need an example? How about the last two years? Those who vote like me think like me. Those who don't vote like me don't think like me. Did I just waste all my chips of credibility with that statement? Our tendency is when we are self, when we have a mirror up and we're looking at ourselves and our sinful hearts begin to show themselves, 
what, what happens when we're, when we're driven by self, we have a habit of appraising us so much better than ourselves and others so much worse than they are. Just so you get an idea of what this young guy was claiming to do. The rabbis at that time, they took all of the commandments and the prohibitions in the Old Testament. There were 248 commandments that they listed, 365 prohibitions. And then you take on top of that, they decided that they would make rules about the rules and the laws. And they added another 1,500 additions. So this young man was saying, I've kept all 2,113 of the laws. What did that look like? Well, in order to avoid taking the Lord's name in vain, they would never use the word God, which is interesting that what did he say to, what did he say, what did he say to the young ruler? I mean, what did the wrong young ruler say to the Jesus? Jesus, no one is good except God alone. Well, he's already broken one of the laws because there's a chance that you could say it without the right amount of, uh, of, of honor and respect. You'll, you'll appreciate this. Men will. According to this, they decided that to avoid committing adultery, the, the Pharisees would lower their head so they wouldn't ever look at a woman because if they ever looked at a woman, there's a chance they might lust. And these, these guys were called bleeding Pharisees. The reason they're called bleeding Pharisees is because they kept running into walls and hitting their head. Literally, bleeding Pharisees. All to keep 2,113 laws. They decided on holy days a person could eat, but you can't cook. You can bound up somebody's womb, but you can't put any medicine on it till the next day. A woman cannot look into a mirror because if she sees a gray hair, she might be tempted to pluck it out, and plucking out a gray hair is breaking one of the 2,113 laws. Listen, you need to know this. We cannot be saved from sin by keeping the law, by actions. In fact, the purpose of the law, here it is, you need to know this, the purpose of the law from the very beginning is for us to realize we can't do this alone. We need God. We can't do it. Christianity is not about religion, which is what the 2,113 laws are about. Christianity is about a relationship. Verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, One thing you lack, he said, Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. One thing you lack. But I, I so appreciate Jesus in this. He didn't say, really, 2,113 laws, you've kept them all. He didn't say that. He just says, okay. He assumes he's right. He just lets the young ruler, rich young ruler, assume he's right. And so Jesus says, okay, so one thing you do lack, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. Go and sell everything. What Jesus was saying, if you want to follow me, of course you shouldn't do all these things, But if you just repent of doing bad things, all it will do is make you a religious person. If you want intimacy with God, here it is, you have to change how you relate to your gifts and your successes. That 
the good things, you don't use your gifts, abilities, your how powerful you are. You don't use that as a sense of performance for you to be approved by God. You use them because you are approved by God. Sometimes we, we use our gifts and our abilities to manipulate others. Or thinking that we can manipulate God. Jesus is saying to this man, you put your faith and trust in your wealth and accomplishments. And then Tim Keller puts it this way, God is your boss. He's not your savior. It's one thing to have God as a boss. Tim Keller goes on to say, if you want God to be your savior, you have to replace what you're already looking to as a savior. Okay. Verse 22. When the man heard this, his face fell. He went away sad. Some translations say grieved because he had great wealth. He went away sad. Interesting, that word sad is the word grieved. And it's the same word that describes Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was sweating drops of blood, and he was grieved and in distress. Same word. Jesus was grieved because he was about to be, have experienced the ultimate dislocation. For Jesus to die on the cross, he had to be separated from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God can't look upon sin. So Jesus had to pay our penalty. That means he had to pay that separation from God. And so Jesus knows he's about to break relationship with the God of eternity. He's grieved about that. He's about to lose the joy of his life, the core of his identity. He's going to lose his father. Jesus is losing his spiritual center. Jesus is losing his very self. And so he was grieved. Same word, the man went away grieved because he owned a lot of property. Keller goes on to say, The man started to grieve because money was for him what the father was for Jesus. It was the center of his identity. And this is why this passage is not just about coming to know Jesus as your Savior. It certainly is. The, the, big, the big idea here is everybody needs Jesus. Whether you sin a little or a lot, you're separated from God, you need Jesus. But this goes on further to talk to those of us who put something else in the driver's seat. Jesus looked around, verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying possessions are wrong. And here's why. Because he told the man, go and sell everything and give to the poor. If possessions were evil in themselves, he wouldn't have said give it to the poor. What he's saying is, he, 
It's not a sin to be rich. Jesus was saying there's something radically wrong with all of us because we have a king, a core, a hub around which everything else rotates. It's an inner boss that's calling the shots. This inner being, what was calling the shots for this young man? He is putting his hope and trust in wealth. But this, this is where it applies to all. Where are you putting your hope and trust? In your good deeds? In your ability to be powerful in whatever uh, strength you have? Are you putting all of that as the hub, the center, the boss, the core of your life? Our, our, it's it's so, so tempting to have a reciprocating relationship with God. I'll do this if you'll do this. I'll do A, B, and C. You owe me D. Verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Why, why did the disciples think, Well, if he can't get into heaven then why, who can? And his, his point was a couple things. One, the 2,113 laws don't get you there. But also there's this law, this, this view in the East that if you're rich, you have God's favor. If you're poor, you're doing something wrong. It's all about you do things to earn credit with God. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. It's all impossible. Horizontal hope never produces long-term. With God, all things are possible. Okay, here's where we're going to close. Look at verse 21. It is amazing. And this is the verse that I want you to take and just ponder. Jesus looked at him and loved him. This is early on. Jesus knew everything about this guy, and he loved him knowing he was in desperate need of a Savior. And Jesus is looking at everyone in this room, and he loves you regardless of how your week has been, regardless of how well you're pursuing God, regardless of the, the, the transformation that is or is not taking place. He loves you. And he wants to be your core. He wants to be your hub. He wants to be the center of your life. He wants to call the shots because... He can redeem whatever comes in your life. Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who have him as their core. We started the service out with just saying, palms open, hands open. The reason we have hands open is it's hard to receive a gift with the fist closed. So all of you, would you please open your hands once again, lay them in your lap, palms open, no fists. Let me speak to those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, but today would be a day you would do that. All you need to pray is say this, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you're not sure you've ever made that prayer for, then today, let it Let February the 13th be the day you say, Jesus, 
give you my life. And for those of us who've been followers of Jesus more than a day or two, whatever has been your core lately, whatever has been your hub, your center, would you just pray a prayer and say, Jesus, I give you everything. I give you everything. Father, I pray that there's not one person in this room or online listening that would walk out saying, not now. God, I I pray that we would open our hands to you and say, I give you everything. That we put our hope and trust in you, not in earthly things, not in anything horizontal. But we put our hope and trust in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus, please let us know that. If you're here uh, at New Cove, then just uh, grab one of the cards and drop it in the, in the box where the offering goes. If you're online, let us know. We would love to spend time with you. And those of you who are followers of Jesus, if you just need some encouragement and some direction, we would love to hang out with you and just give you some Uh, some tools that will help you to keep Jesus as the hub of your life. We're going to give our offerings at the end of the service, and as always, we are so grateful for what you do. It makes a difference. It gives us so many options of being able to deal with issues that come up, not just internally, but externally. So thank you for your giving. It matters.